You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Caleb Wilkinson. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to open up the word with you this morning as we continue in the book of Judges, Judges 16. We're going to continue in the story of Samson. And just want to tell you again, it's a joy to be with you on this rainy Sunday morning. Well, all of human life is shaped by one story or another. Author Michael Goheen tells us of a humorous humorous scenario to illustrate how specific events only get their meaning in the context of a story. So imagine this. Imagine a man at a bus stop when a young man standing next to to him says, the name of the common wild duck is Histrionicus, Histrionicus, Histrionicus. You understand the meaning of the sentence, but what on earth is he doing saying it in the first place? This particular action can only be understood if it's placed in a broader framework of meaning, a story that renders the saying comprehensible. Three stories could make this particular incident meaningful. The young man has mistaken the man standing next to him for another person he saw yesterday in the library who asked him, do you by any chance know the Latin name of the common duck? Or he has just come from a session with his therapist who's helping him deal with his painful shyness. And the therapist urges him to talk to strangers. And the young man says, well, what, what should I talk to them about? And he, the therapist says, oh, anything, anything at all. Or again, he's a Soviet spy, and he's arranged to meet his contact at this bus stop, and the code that will reveal his identity is the statement about the Latin name of the duck. The meaning of the encounter at the bus stop depends on which story shapes it. In fact, each story will give the event a different meaning. So Goheen says, it's the same with our lives. The way we understand ourselves depends on our view of the human story. What is the real story of which my life is a part? How we answer this question for ourselves will determine how we read about other people's stories in the Bible, like the story of Samson we've been in for the last weeks in the book of Judges. The Bible is mainly about who God is a story about God, but it also tells us in that story who we are. Does God create his people to be like moral investors? Like what we have to do is just try really hard and be really good and uh, the banker God will bless us? Or does God just set us free to conquer our giants and maximize our flourishing? Are are we to spend our lives chasing love and overthrowing oppressive foes that get in the way of, of getting and keeping freedom and happiness and peace? These common narratives are all around us. They shape the way we understand our lives. 
They're not the true story, and yet we get lost in them, sort of like Samson did. And the end of his life is going to bring us back to the true story of the universe. The true story is that God made us, his creatures, to depend on him as our strength. And God's determined to help us live out of this true story. Chapter 16 is going to show us to what lengths he'll go to to get us back in the true story, even when we begin writing other stories for ourselves. Okay, mainly it will teach us this. The Lord leaves his people weak, so we'll remember he's our strength. The Lord leaves his people weak to help us remember he's our strength. Okay, so it's going to do this by telling us a story of a strong man who's shown to be weak. And the story is going to end with a weak man God makes stronger than he ever was before. Okay, so first we're going to see this strong man revealed to be weak. Then we'll see a weak man made strong. So we're going to start in where, right where we left off last week in chapter 16, verse 1. This is God's word. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson's come here, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Okay, this scene may very well be years after where we left off in chapter 15, after Samson's last victory and God meets him with water. But despite his many feats and answered prayer, Samson is still, well, Samson, okay? He hasn't changed much at all. He's still quite a crooked stick. He's still very misdirected. He's doing his own thing. He's led by his eyes and he's enamored with Philistines. He keeps going, he keeps going back. He still really likes their women very much. He sees this prostitute and continues treating them like objects for his own consumption. Okay, but the pattern is deepening. His reckless misdirection is worse than ever. He, he's now in the most dangerous place he can possibly be in, okay, Gaza, the capital city of that country, of Philistine. He's staying overnight. This is suicidal because the Philistines are still seething. They're still looking for a way to put an end to him. But he keeps relying on his strength to get him out of trouble. And, and sort of as expected so far, Samson overcomes this biggest trap yet okay the walled city but don't miss how spectacular this is he tore off a city gate like a whole wall puts it on his shoulders and carries it to Hebron which is something like 40 miles away okay so this is certainly a strong man but we do get the sense that though Samson escapes this one he's inching closer to his demise it's like a, an Icarus flying closer to the sun. And if you get that sense, you're right. You're right. The scene is now set to show us that 
this strong man is really a weak man. So let's keep reading. Verse 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we can overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. This is the first time we hear the word love in Samson's story. He loves Delilah. Now, many people question this love. They wonder, is he just using her? Is what he really loves is uh, the sexual highs he, she gives him? Or is he just loving the thrill of danger? I think it's best to go with the narrator here, what, what he gives us. It says, after this, he loved a woman. Okay, so this third woman in his story was different, not only because she was the first woman named, but because Samson loved her. And it seems all he really wants is to love her and to be loved in return by her. But this is a problem because Delilah doesn't love Samson, at least not nearly as much as she loves money and power. This fortune will set her up for life. And these lords of the Philistines, they're like the most powerful people in the country. And so she does them this favor. She's got influence. She becomes a national hero. And all she has to do is discover this mystery of where Samson's strength lies. And notice what the lords want. Okay, They don't want actually just to capture Samson or to kill Samson. They want to humble him, meaning they want to torture him and humiliate him okay but even knowing this Delilah can't resist getting what she wants okay so she agrees to the conspiracy and another trap is set for Samson this will time a little closer to his heart and she doesn't waste any time and we're reading it we're saying can this request be any more obvious oh darling tell me where your strength lies so you can be subdued okay you'd think Like, he can't be unaware of this danger he's in, can he? But what they do is they start playing this sort of bizarre game where she asks him where his strength lies, and he lies to her. And then she tests him out, tests the answer out, and tries it, but it doesn't work because he's kept his secret. So they play this game four times total. There's four rounds of this. First, he tells her, bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried. Then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Okay, for round one, round two. Then he tells her, bind me with new ropes that have never been used. Then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And thirdly, he tells her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pen, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So each time Delilah tries to capture him and Samson easily escapes the trap and Delilah gets upset with him for for lying to her, for for toying with her. But with each new round of the game, the tension increases, okay? Samson's moving closer and closer to the truth. He he ends with his talking about his hair. He's moving closer to the brink, he's moving closer to disaster. 
And Delilah just keeps on adding more and more emotional manipulation. And, and it's just hard not to be impatient with Samson. He's so strong, and yet he's so foolish. And it's only a matter of time before he caves. Okay, and this next round is going to slow down a bit and capture the night he does cave. We're going to skip some verses. I tried to capture them with a little summary, but we're going to move to verse 15. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved... Then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he's told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. Okay, so Delilah presses him harder. She nags and manipulates him day after day after day. And now she questions his very love for her, something he must have believed was real love. So finally he gives up and he tells her his secret. And this is the first time we see Samson actually being aware of his Nazarite vow. It's been kind of hard to wonder, not wonder, if Samson really even knows who he is. Like, does his parents ever tell him? But now the question's answered. Samson hasn't been ignorant all this time. He's not ignorant. He knows who he is. He understands his special place in God's mission. And so we're left asking, why hasn't he embraced it? And maybe even a more pressing question now. Why does he tell Delilah his secret? I mean, he must have known that she would shave his hair. It's like he's daring her to do it. Why? Some commentators think he's blinded by his love for her so much that he just, he trusts her. Others just say Delilah was really good at what she did. She great at seduction and manipulation. She knew her craft. Others think it's because he's on a thrill ride. He's like the self-sufficient adrenaline junkie who just thinks he can't get hurt. He thinks he's invincible. And the text really does give us all three of these motivations. He told her because he loved her. He told her because she wore him down. And he told her because he thought he could go out as before and shake himself free. But there's still another reason the text hints at. And I think, it, I think it's really the key 
to understanding it all. He told Delilah his secret because, listen, he wanted to be like any other man. It seems Samson is revealing an even deeper secret of his heart. He wants to be like any other man. Deep down in his heart of hearts, he's wanted this his whole life. Let's think about this. Samson is set apart by God and called to this special role of delivering God's people. But all he wants is to be free from this special calling. He was a Nazarite. But he was unique. He he never made the vow. He was a Nazarite by divine decision before he was even born. So he's, he's God's man, but he never wanted what God wants for him. He's broken all the vows. He, he drank wine. He'd go, go hang out in the vineyards, throw a drinking party for the Philistines. And, and he's scraping honey out of lion carcass and handling donkey jawbone. Okay? Instead of fighting the Philistines, he's wined and dined them, trying to mar- intermarry with them. Okay? The only judge work Samson's done was driven by God. Never because he went willingly. Always because he was provoked by selfish uh, reasons. He's never wanted to play his part in God's good story. He's been on a mission to write his own story. Commentator Barry Webb suggests something most of us have probably not seen when we've read about Samson. He had to fight them, but it was never what he wanted. All he wanted was what every man wanted, if he dare admit it. Sex, love, and freedom from the too narrow confines of his upbringing. But Samson's Nazarite ship had dogged him at every turn and become an unbearable burden. That is what he told Delilah when he opened his heart to her. I don't want to be special anymore. Bring the nightmare to an end. Shave my head and make me normal. Samson doesn't want to be special. Okay, now with the woman he loves, he wants to be like every other man. He always had. That's why he tells Delilah all his heart. Does this sound like anyone else in the book of Judges so far? We'll get to that. But for now, we see Samson gets exactly what he wants. He, He gets to be like every other man. But far from leading him to the freedom he desires, he's brought into this horrible bondage. Okay, overnight, this strong man, led by his own eyes, has his eyes ripped out of him, gouged out of him. This invincible man with the highest calling one could have is cast down to the lowest place imaginable. Okay, grinding flour for others in prison, forced slave labor. This strong man who just carried a city gate 40 miles proves to be a very weak man because he wouldn't embrace the Lord as his strength. The reason why Samson couldn't fight back was because the Lord had left him. And so this strong man is chained up and shown to be a very weak and helpless man after all. Okay, the lights have gone out on Samson. Boom, boom, boom. But just now, in the darkest, 
bleakest moment, we get a line packed with hope. Verse 22. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. The lights had gone out on Samson, but wait. And as, as we wait, we're not meant to be thinking, wow, his hair is growing back. That's where he gets his strength from, his hair. Everyone saw his hair was growing back. The Philistines were watching his hair grow back. They, they saw that like literally. But what they were thinking is that Samson wasn't only cast down, he was cast off. After all, he broke his vow to his God. But the God of the Bible is different than other so-called gods. He's not a moral banker. He isn't bound by our obedience. And so it's not over yet because God loves to leave his people weak to help them remember he's their strength. Okay? And this is radical. He can cast his people down without casting them off. So let's take a look at this weak man made strong now, okay? Starting verse 24. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, our god has given our enemy into our hands, the ravenger of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Okay, so now there's this huge party filled with all of Philistines' national leadership and wine and cheering, and everyone is praising Dagon, the Philistine god with a fish body and a a human face and human hands, and they're cheering, victory for Dagon, he's delivered Israel's champion into our hands. And from our perspectives, this worship service is amusing. It's, it's even comical because we know something's up. The narrator's given us a hint. Something's up. Samson's hair's growing back. But the Philistines don't know something's up. Certainly Dagon doesn't know anything's up. So, so it's a bit humorous. But, but the humor isn't mainly meant to make us laugh here. It's meant to make us angry. Dale Ralph Davis points out why. He says... We know it was the absence of Yahweh, not the power of Dagon, that accounts for Samson's shame. But Samson's shame has become Yahweh's shame. For praise that belongs to Yahweh alone is being heaped at the lifeless feet of a helpless image. And because Yahweh's servant has been humiliated, Yahweh also suffers humiliation. Okay, we should be angry here. Remember, this, this isn't mainly about a battle of Samson and Delilah or the Philistines and Israel. These battles have been about the God of the universe and the so-called gods of other nations 
whom Dagon just represents. So, so let's be angry about these people rejecting the God who gives them their very breath, their very heartbeat, and turning with those heartbeats and those breaths to worship, to praise a lifeless idol. The very breath the God of the universe gives them. Let's be angry. And let's keep reading. Verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my eyes. In utter weakness, Samson remembers Yahweh as his covenant Lord. He's a very different Samson. Okay, In complete helplessness, he looks to God for mercy and grace. He says, please remember me. He embraces Yahweh as sovereign. He's, he's a powerful, saving God. He's not depending on his own might now. Samson sees God alone as his strength. Please strengthen me only this once. Now, there's certainly major faults in Samson's prayer here. Okay, He's still preoccupied with himself. He's still looking out for personal revenge. But for the very first time, we see Samson with faith. He's crying out to God for deliverance. He's trusting God's power and grace. And so we hold our breath and we wait, asking, how is God going to answer the prayer of this sinner saint? Verse 29 tells us, and Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Okay, as Samson moves these pillars, he's learned, God has not abandoned me. He's not abandoned me after all. He was left weak, but he was not forsaken. He was left weak to remember that God is his strength. What a moment of worship to feel these pillars giving way, to hear the crumbling rocks all around him. He's re-entering the real story of his life. The Lord alone is Lord, and he's my Lord, and he's merciful and gracious. And what a sight we get here that Yahweh works in and through and despite flawed sinners, flawed saints, faith and our mixed motivations to accomplish his mission. All the Philistines' national leaders with 3,000 others are buried in a massive cemetery under the rubble of their God's temple. Samson's strongest feat and greatest moment comes when he's most weak in his death. And God doesn't only leave Samson weak to help him be what he's meant to be and begin delivering Israel as was promised before he was even born. God left Samson weak to vindicate his own name and proclaim from the rubble of another God's temple, I'm stronger and better than Dagon. I alone am your strength. The story ends with this conclusion, verse 31. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. 
He had judged Israel 20 years. Yeah, this is a bit disappointing. There's no hint that any period of rest has come like it had with previous judges. Ultimately, Samson's feet isn't the solution for the peace that Israel longs for and desperately needs. So we're left with a question. What will break the cycle that seems to be spinning out of control? We're left yet again waiting, longing. So what do we do with Samson in this last episode of his life? I think Samson's story leaves us three things. It leaves us a mirror, it leaves us a hope, and it leaves us a way. Samson leaves us a mirror, a mirror to stare into long and hard and think. What did the first readers see when they stared into this mirror? Their reflection, of course. Samson's demise didn't happen overnight. It was a slow progression. He had met two previous women that were mentioned at least and that he had to have. But over the years of following his eyes, the object of his sight slowly becomes the object of his heart. In the end, he doesn't objectify women for his own pleasure. He treasures them. He loved Delilah more than his God, more than his people. And she pummeled him. What a tragedy. Some people see Samson and Delilah's story as one of the greatest love tragedies in history. But you want to know an even greater tragedy? The tragedy that Samson and Delilah reflects back to Israel. Israel was God's consecrated covenant people called for God's purposes and delivered out of Egypt to be a light to the nations for Yahweh. And yet, like Samson's interest in foreign women, he prostitutes, or Israel prostitutes itself with other gods. Like Samson wants to be like any other man, Israel wants to be like all the other nations. Like Samson has ignored, despised, and rejected his Nazarite vows, Israel's walked away from God's covenant with them. Okay, so you see, Israel's meant to look in this mirror and say, we're the tragedy. We're the tragedy. We're living and writing our own epic tragedy right now. Okay, this story is shouting at Israel the dangers of competing loves, how, how idols shipwreck our real story. And are we not in the same position today, church? Are we not called and saved to be set apart as God's special people, purposely placed at this specific time, in this specific community, with specific gifts and resources for the sake of God's name, to showcase his excellencies? And yet, don't we also live for ourselves? Don't we live as if We were made to maximize our own comfort and achievement. Like in our heart of hearts, don't we also resent the fact that we're called to be different than our comfort-chasing neighbors? Isn't our work often motivated by a silent wish to be just like every other successful man and woman and family around us in North Dallas? My fellow sinners, let's take a painful look in the mirror that Samson leaves us. 
Are we not taking God's redemption story and our place in it, the story that tells us who we really are, and turning it into a tragedy day by day? If we are, when we do do this, it's an even greater tragedy than Samson's. Hey, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. If, if, Lord, if you must leave us weak to help us see that you alone are our strength, Lord, help us and please don't wait until our last breath to show us you're our strength and help us embrace our place in your story. And we can thank God that he doesn't leave us with a mirror alone. He leaves us with a hope, a hope for how he'll answer this prayer. Okay, Though he justly casts his unfaithful people down, leaving them weak and helpless, he remains faithful. Okay, His ears remain open to the cries and, of, of his people and his arm is ready to save. Okay, He casts his people down, but he'll never cast us off. As Israel looks into the mirror and sees their sinfulness, it's almost as if God's coming out of the reflection, urging them, call upon me in your trouble. It's not too late. Yes, I've left you weak, but I haven't left you. I can't forget you. So remember me. Remember I'm your Lord, your strength. I, in your weakness, rely on me and be made strong. And today the Lord says the same to you and to me. Now maybe you're in over your head with money. You're trapped in a lifestyle you can't afford. You're swimming in debt. You're looking for deliverance in the stock market or in some form of gambling or you're just working entirely too much to try to dig yourself out of the hole. Or others are completely imprisoned by our sexual desires. I'm just mentioning a a few that we've talked in previous weeks that are common idols we struggle with. Others are imprisoned by sexual desires, you know, pornography or a sinful relationship or just the feelings and awful desires that seem to shackle us. Okay, we feel like we're living in a dark dungeon. We've tried everything we can to free ourselves, but we're weak and helpless, and really we just feel like giving up. Maybe because you know you're not strong enough on your own. Or maybe because you don't think you can cry out to God because you don't deserve it. You don't deserve his help. You feel as if his lights have gone out on you. But listen, God didn't answer Samson because he deserved his help. He didn't, and we don't. What else is new? But take this encouragement. Samson had ruined his life. He was shackled in another God's temple, completely unable to free himself, completely undeserving to be freed, and all because he put himself there. But look again and see what he finds in his chains. Grace. God doesn't cast him off. And so whatever prison you're chained up in, however much you deserve to be there, you have a rescuer who's ready to save you. It's not too late for you. Either cry out to him. Don't wait to be healed. Don't wait to be made, don't wait to be stronger. You'll never be. That's the point. God's left you weak to help you, to help show you that he's your strength. So cry out to him for grace. Rely on his strength. Okay, and the final thing Samson shows us is a way to get in on this hope. It's not too late. He shows us the way to get in. It's faith. He shows us that it's not the quality or the size of our faith, but the object of our faith that matters. Okay, Samson's faith is muddy. It's riddled with selfish motives, but it's faith. And you might question me on that 
Are you sure? Yes, I'm positive it's faith because the Bible tells us, you go flip to Hebrews 11, it says this, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Samson, who through faith was made strong out of weakness. That, that's a good description of faith. In weakness, being made strong by something outside of ourselves, by one stronger than we are. Okay, so, so Samson has proved for these last four weeks, this book within a book, that he's one big sinner. But he's also proving now he is a true saint. Okay, being a saint isn't about our, the record of our life or the quality or size of our faith. It's about who our faith is in. Okay, so in weakness, Samson looks to Yahweh. He, he trusts in his power and grace, even at the end of his life. Now, the sad thing is, is Israel didn't heed this mirror, this way. They would end up being exiled. They would end up being put under the thumb of Rome, waiting for another dying Savior. But if Samson has enough reason for faith here, how much more do we Because we have a much greater view of God's power and grace than he ever could. We have Jesus. Jesus who didn't didn't fight our enemies only when provoked by self-love. Who wasn't dragged off against his will to be made humiliated. Jesus, God himself, who initiated an attack against our enemies by willingly becoming a weak man. And made a spectacle on a cross. There hanging in humiliation. He didn't pray for revenge but for the Father to forgive those who put him there, you and me. There he died in our place as a weak man, and in his weakness, he proves to us that he is our strength. With his last breath, he didn't bring down only 3,000 Philistines. He brought down Satan and, and, and his kingdom of darkness with death and sin, all of it. Our greatest enemies are defeated. Okay, we can know he went to the cross to help us with our greatest weakness, our, our inability to rec- rescue ourselves from death and from sin. Do you not think that he'll also help you in the weakness you find yourself in this morning? The cross says, I will. Look to me in faith. Let me be your strength. And as we do, unlike Israel, we're not left waiting with a disappointing ending, longing. We're we're not left longing for the rest after a dead deliverer. Jesus rose from the dead and is thus our living rest, the living rest all of our hearts long for. Okay, the rest, the tragedy of Samson points us to. This, this is who we are. This is our real story. Okay, the Lord is our strength. He always was and he always will be. So I'm going to invite the band. I'm sorry to give you guys a warning. Uh, I'm to invite the band and we're going to uh, continue to sing. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. Father, we... To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.